Transmitting from the lovely little city of Taylor, Texas, you are listening to Plow and Hose, a show dedicated to the joys and challenges of organic backyard gardening in Central Texas. I am your host, Julie Rydell. Welcome to the show. You know what I just love? I love people who mow around wildflowers. When I see a shaggy patch of wildflowers in an otherwise perfectly mowed lawn, I think instinctively there's a nice person. There's nice people that live there. I don't know. I like to think that anyway. I love to see that and it's, it just makes me happy. Well, um, hello, friends. Thank you for joining me again. It's a, uh, it's been pretty fine uh, here lately. Um, Mid-April in Central Texas is just so beautiful this time of year. The weather has been really good too. Um, unfortunately, the air is trying to kill some of us um, with all of this pollen and mold floating around in the air and I know a whole lot of people are suffering right now including uh, my husband and my youngest daughter they're they've been having really bad allergies and that's just because lots of trees are blooming right now and the pollen counts are fluctuating like crazy also, with the recent rains, mold counts have been um, high as well. But really, April is just a crazy time of the year for tree, tree pollen. Um, there are several different species of trees um, producing pollen throughout the entire month of April. Elm, ash, hickory, pecan, walnut, hackberry, mulberry, mesquite. They are all taking their turns, just pumping out tons and tons of pollen. Now, even though most trees don't have very, um, you know, showy flowers like, you know, ornamental trees and fruit trees, they still technically flower in order to produce seeds. Um, often they just really don't look like what we think of flowers when we think of flowers. Um, cottonwood and ash trees, um, they do kind of have flowers. They're, they're pretty insignificant and they're hard to see. And they only develop on female trees. Um, some trees are like that. Ash and cottonwood trees um, and other trees. They will be either male trees or female trees. And in order to produce seeds, there needs to be both a male and a female tree. But other common central Texas trees, like oaks and pecans, both have male and flowers on the same tree. They, the male and the female flowers de develop separately on different parts of the tree. Oak trees and pecan trees have separate female flowers that are... Um, quite small and hardly noticeable. 
um, the male flowers are much more distinct. Instead of tree flowers with petals and stamens, both um, pecan and oak trees make um, tassels, um, which are also called catkins. These are the little clusters of stringy green male flowers that um, make a huge mess. Um, they drop and turn brown after they release pollen. Um, to me, they look like dead worms, <laughs> um, dried, crusty dead worms. Oak and pecan trees are wind pollinated and if pollination occurs, then the female flowers will develop into acorns or pecan nuts. Now, with those um, tassels, you know, it's like a little cluster of several um, individual strands. Um, and just one of those, one single catkin, can produce more than two million grains of pollen. Just one little, you know, two inch green strand has that much pollen. And just one catkin is able, uh, has enough pollen that it can produce enough um, to pollinate 50,000 pounds of nuts. Just one little thing, one little stringy catkin. So that kind of like illustrates how much pollen that there is in the air. Wind pollination is um, much more random than insect pollination. So wind pollinated plants produce tons and tons of pollen. Um, and, you know, hopefully it will create some nuts and seeds by blowing around. If you are allergic, though, to pecan and oak pollen, I'm so sorry. I know you guys must be miserable. It doesn't last forever. Um, April is peak pollen season, and we sure do have a whole lot of pecans and oaks in Central Texas. So be sure to keep on top of your allergy medicine. Hopefully you guys can... Um, get through our allergy season. Maybe it's not so bad. But, you know, once the trees get done, you know, we also have grass pollen that is a really bad allergen for a lot of people. And Bermuda grass, Bermuda turf grass is one of the worst. Peak Grass pollen season starts just after the pecans finish in late April, early May. Pollen forms on the seed heads that um, pop up in between mowing. They release pollen very heavily in the springtime, but they also um, release pollen in the fall. So we get two grass pollen seasons. Some of the more modern varieties of um, turf grasses that you can like buy. So if you're like installing a new lawn, you know, you're, you're probably going to get um, a more modern variety of turf grass. Um, they have been um, cultivated so that they produce fewer seed heads. 
but you know they're they're wind pollinated and they can cross pollinate with similar species so you may have this type of bermuda grass but your neighbor might not and it's really hard to control so what you'll end up finding is that some years you'll have more seed heads than others a lot of it has to do with the kind of grass how they pollinate um you know how often you mow springtime is um a little worse than the fall for grass pollen because we tend to have slightly more rain than in the fall seed heads can form really quickly after a good rain and you don't want to mow when it's wet but also um, it's not always convenient to mow when you first notice them sprouting grasses are heavy nitrogen consumers nitrogen is the plant nutrient responsible for leaf development and grass blades are essentially the leaves Nitrogen keeps um, grass green and growing and looking really lush and pretty. But um, when nitrogen drops and there's a nutrient imbalance, it can cause grass to shift into reproductive mode and they will send out more seed heads when they are nutrient stressed. Controlling seed heads and pollen production is usually um, accomplished and you can be really successful by mowing your yard often but some grasses have adapted to grow very low um, and they'll put their seed heads um, very low to the ground like under you know where your mower height is and you might not even be able to see them without getting like on the ground and looking but anyway um pollen this time of year is just really really hard to avoid over Easter weekend I was able to get um, quite a bit of yard work done I was pretty pleased um, of course yard work never seems to end and um, you know between winter storm Uri in 2021 and then this year's bad ice storm um, winter storm Mara we lost um, some really, really large boxwood bushes um, in our backyard. And I mean, these things were really, really old. They were fully grown, um, 12 feet tall and probably just as wide. And uh, they were just really big, mature, old growth boxwoods. And it was really sad be between the two storms. Um, they just had so much damage and we had them removed um, earlier this spring. So it left a big open space in the backyard. And, you know, I, I was disappointed um, that they were damaged, but also they provided some really great afternoon shade for my vegetable beds. Plus, the bees really loved the blossoms on those bushes in the spring. Um, I'm going to miss them. But um, over Easter weekend, I spent some time prepping the area. You know, pulled up a bunch of cow parsley that was starting to come up. And 
Then I decided to toss some fresh compost over the bald patch that was left behind. And I threw out some uh, zinnia seeds that I had. And I also had um, some lantana seeds that someone had given me. So I scattered all of that stuff out there. Um, I, I figured that they weren't really going to grow sitting in um, a bag on my patio, so I just threw them out there in that bald area where the boxwoods were. I really hope to get some flowers out there this year. Zinnias are super easy, and if I'm lucky, I'll have a lot of them this year. My potato plants are looking really nice. They are green and lush and so healthy looking. And they seem to be very happy in the spot I chose for them this year. I've honestly been ignoring them this spring and secretly hoping that um, all my neglect will yield some more potatoes, hopefully more potatoes than I, I normally get. So far, so good. It looks like I'm doing a really great job growing um, the top parts. Um, it's going to be a little bit before I know if I get a lot of potatoes. I planted them around Valentine's Day, um, which is the recommended planting window for Irish potatoes. They take 92 120 days, uh, depending on the variety, for um, potatoes to fully develop and mature enough to dig. So after about three or four months after you plant them, um, once the tops start to wither and turn yellow, die, they'll collapse, and then that's a signal that they are ready to dig up and harvest. Also around my garden, um, I ended up needing to replant my cucumber seeds. Um, I'm not exactly sure what was going on out there. Something just ate them as they were sprouting up. They only had um, those two um, little sprout leaves. They hadn't formed any larger leaves. And, you know, I can't really figure it out. Um, I'm guessing that it's probably like a wild rabbit because... Bugs usually leaves behind some some clues like chew marks or, or droppings, and there's um, nothing, no trace of what happened to my little baby cucumbers. They're just gone. And uh, my chickens get out occasionally. Um, I got a couple that can jump over the fence, but um, if it were my chickens, they would have... Um, eaten the seedlings for sure, but in the process, they would have just torn up the whole bed, just scratching around looking for, looking for bugs too. And, um, the ground was not disturbed in my cucumber bed, but whatever. Um, it doesn't really matter what ate them because they're gone. Um, and I find it, um, pretty annoying because it makes me feel kind of behind, um, but it's all right. Um, we are still in the planting window for cucumbers, so there's still a good amount of time um, for having cucumbers this summer.
Also, over Easter weekend, I was able to fix my bean teepees this weekend. Um, I got them cleaned up and I refreshed the soil underneath them. Um, one was also leaning pretty badly, so I had to um, take some measures to straighten that, uh, straighten it up. Um, I have always, always wanted bean towers, and last year I finally got them set up, and they were wonderful last year. They were really, really cool and amazing, and they were just so easy to set up. Um, I bought these special plastic rings made just for assembling bean teepees. These rings are dark green plastic discs that are like the size of a saucer, um, or, you know, like a large yogurt lid. Um, there is a center hole and then there are six star shaped, um, openings. And to make a teepee, you just thread, um, bamboo poles through those star shaped holes and then set it upright. Um, then you stabilize the poles and it's done. It's super easy. And then you're ready to plant some climbing plants. Now, um, I got my bamboo from my neighbor down the street. He lets me cut uh, bamboo cane from his bamboo stand. Um, and I use those to set up my teepees. Now, um, last year I didn't really think it through too well because when I uh, cut the canes instead of like cutting eight or nine feet long canes um, my canes are super long though like at least 15 20 feet maybe long they were super super long poles and um, it was a little challenging to set them up in like a teepee formation and secure them because the length made them uh, kind of unwieldy and I, I did have to um, have my kids help me last year um, but you know what I persisted and the results were pretty awesome um, instead of like you know manageable sized teepees um, instead I have bean towers and they are pretty awesome. <laughs> um, I'm, I don't know. I, they they're just super super cool. Um, last year I planted lima beans and moonflowers um, on those, and even though I could not pick the um, lima beans that formed at the very top of my bean towers, um, they're really beautiful. And I love the moonflower so much that I planted those again. Um, but this year for the other tower that I have, um, I decided to plant hyacinth beans. And they are another really cool vining plant. Hyacinth beans are ornamental legumes. Legumes are any plants in the um, Fabaceae family. Um, Fabuses are, you know, includes trees, shrubs, annuals, perennials, all those plants. Um, in the vegetable garden, um, legumes in fabuses are peas and beans. 
mimosa trees, Prada Barbados, alfalfa, blue bonnets, they are all also legumes. And all legumes have this cool ability of taking nitrogen from the air and the plant works with the soil biology to convert it to a type of nitrogen that plants can use. And it's, um, it's called nitrogen fixing. Anyway, um, hyacinth beans flower and produce seed pods, um, just like other beans. The pods are large and flat. Um, they sort of look like lima beans, but, um, they're not exactly edible. I mean, technically the young pods are edible when cooked, but once they mature and they have seeds inside, um, they just have too many, um, toxic compounds in them. And in order to eat them at that stage, you have to boil them multiple times to make them safe to eat. Um, and I, I don't know, it seems like a lot of work and there are just so many other beans that are safe to eat. So plant those, but plant some hyacinth beans because there are, they are really pretty. They're really beautiful. Hyacinth beans are an annual vine. Um, they're a pretty old, um, plant. Um, they're an heirloom plant that date back to the early 1800s in the, in the United States. Um, they were planted in the gardens at, uh, Thomas Jefferson's homestead, Monticello. Um, he had, um, a notation in his, uh, journal back in like 1812, where he describes the purple flowering hyacinth bean growing along, um, the terrace and on the Arbor walk. So that, that's pretty cool that they've been, um, they've been in the States for that long. Um, and they're pretty popular. Hyacinth beans are, um, fast growing. Um, they're twisting type vine and they can grow up to 20 feet long. They have vibrant kind of reddish purple flowers and they put on just really neat burgundy seed pods. And their foliage is also really interesting too. And it has just like a hint of a tinge of purple um, kind of mixed with the dark green leaves. Um, and the stems are, um, purple too. It, um, if you like purple, this is a good plant for you. Since these, um, hyacinth beans are really vigorous growers, um, you definitely want to train them up something. They are large, long vines and they really need something sturdy to climb. Um, I've grown them before. I've planted them, um, several years ago. I had them in a pot and they do well in a pot. And I had them, uh, scramble up the trellis that's kind of attached to our patio. Hyacinth bean flowers. Um, they look a whole lot like sweet peas and they have, um, a nice soft floral fragrance that um, attract hummingbirds, bees, and other pollinators like moths. 
and butterflies. Unlike um, sweet peas, though, um, those are spring blooming. And sweet peas, they don't like our Texas heat at all. But hyacinth beans don't mind. And, and they're not too picky about soil type either. Um, but they do perform better in well amended soil. So add some compost or something to your soil, kind of make it a little more rich. They'll enjoy that. Hyacinth bean beans also like full sun and they will tolerate some partial shade. If you love those purple flowers, uh, you need to add some to your garden. And since they're really popular with pollinators, you'll also get lots of really cool seed pods. Um, allow the seed pods to dry on the vine and then be sure to collect them before they completely dry out because they will pop open um, and that makes it harder to save the, um, the seeds inside. Um, the beans are also really interesting. Um, the seeds are like, mm, they're kind of smaller than a dime and they're like flat, like thick, flat dime size seeds, but they're jet black. And then on one side, one edge, there's like a thin crescent of white just on that one edge. And to me, they look like little moons. They're, they're really sweet. Early spring in Central Texas is my favorite time of the year, and it's the perfect time to plant summer favorites like beans, corn, cucumbers, and squash, all from seed. True Leaf Market has been selling heirloom and organic garden seeds since 1974. They offer a huge selection of seeds of all kinds, veggies, herbs, flowers, grains, cover crops, specialty seeds, and even sprouting and microgreen seeds. Whether you need just a small packet with a few seeds or several pounds, True Leaf Market offers sizes for everyone, from the home gardener to professional growers. Order online at trueleafmarket.com. Be sure to use promo code PLOWHOSE10 and take 10% off your order at trueleafmarket.com. Spring in Central Texas is here, and if you're interested in growing some of your own produce or you just want to add new plants to your landscape, let Taylor Garden Center help. Taylor Garden Center is an independent local nursery that not only specializes in native and drought-tolerant plants and trees, they also carry a full range of soil amendments and organic products. Springtime is the best time to plant summer and fall blooming bulbs, and Taylor Garden Center is stocked with all your favorites. Plus, they have added bulk summer flower seeds so you can purchase as much or as little as you desire. Selection is still great if you need fruit and nut trees, so come by and check out all the quality trees and look for special pricing. Shop local and head over to Taylor Garden Center, located at 1902 West 2nd Street in Taylor, Texas. You are listening to Plow and Hose on KBSR Blacksboro Radio. 
If you're enjoying my show, I hope you will go over to www.blacksparrowmusicparlor.com and check out the station and learn all about the great shows and music coming out of our station broadcasting from Taylor, Texas. Be sure to head over to Amazon or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows and subscribe to the Plow and Host Podcast. If you like the ability to play pause and rewind my show whenever you want, Download some episodes and be sure to leave a review. This is going to help others find the show and downloading the Pond Host podcast helps provide me with statistics. The other morning, um, I don't know, one day this past week, I was hanging out in the garden and I noticed a funny little bug that was kind of crawling around on my daikon radishes. It was um, kind of oblong, not very big, maybe the size of a cucumber seed. And the body was gray, dark gray with orange markings. And then it was covered in these stubby little black spikes. And it was really unusual, but it was also familiar looking. And once I started like looking around, this bed of radishes, I noticed several ladybugs on some of the other plants. And then it clicked with me. I realized that they were ladybug larvae. And I've been noticing lots of ladybugs around my yard. I mean, of course, it's springtime and, um, you know, they're very active right now. Ladybugs hibernate over the winter. So um, it wasn't really a surprise uh, to see them now that it's warmed up. These little ladybugs can, um, they can live a long time for such a little creature. They can live up to three years and each winter they find some shelter, like they'll crawl up under some rocks or hide under, under leaves and they will just wait out the winter while they are hibernating. Um, they become dormant and their bodies, um, create a chemical that, helps prevent them from dehydrating and freezing to death. I guess it's like antifreeze. Ladybugs will um, also cluster together and huddle up um, to stay warm while they are hiding out from the cold. But then in the spring, they reemerge and go crazy eating and mating Ladybugs lay their eggs on the backsides of leaves. They can lay up to 50 eggs just in one spot. And they these eggs are teeny, teeny, tiny. Each egg is um, smaller than the, the black dots on their backs. If you notice, um, if you notice a cluster of kind of oval, golden yellow eggs on the backside of a leaf. They're probably ladybug eggs. Once the eggs hatch, um, the larvae emerge and they look nothing like cute little red ladybugs. They are that dark gray with orange markings and they're kind of spiky looking. And at this stage, the ladybug larvae, they are incredibly hungry. They have crazy appetites. 
and they go to town gorging themselves on aphids, mites, mealybugs, and other tiny little insects that infest our plants. In two two to four weeks um, after the larvae are done eating and growing, the larvae will attach themselves to a stem or a leaf and then they start to develop a little cocoon like pupa and they start transforming into an adult ladybug. Once they metamorphosize, um, they will emerge from the pupa and they are fully formed and they are able to fly. So the whole process takes four to six weeks, just depending on the conditions and the species. If you have ladybugs in your garden, uh, consider yourself really lucky. I think you are so fortunate to have these cute little bugs around because they are one of the best um, predators. They are voracious eaters and they will gobble up to 50 aphids a day. And the larvae can actually eat twice that. They can eat up to 100 aphids a day. So they are really incredibly valuable for us organic gardeners because they keep the bad bug populations down while reducing the need for pest control. If you have some issues in your garden, you can actually purchase live ladybugs and introduce them to your garden. They are really easy to find online and you can order them and they'll be shipped to you. Some local nurseries also stock them. Um, You might want to call ahead um, to make sure that they they have some in stock. Um, They really aren't all that expensive and um, they're really fun to release. Store-bought ladybugs are normally kept refrigerated. When they are cold, that's when they're dormant, they're not active. And they will actually keep well for several weeks in a refrigerator. Keep them in um, in the fridge at home until you're ready to release them. When they're in a cool environment, they will actually live longer than if you just like store them outside or somewhere in your house. Once ladybugs warm up and they're ready to be released, be sure that you have a source of food for them, um, like that you know that you have aphids or mites on your plants because they're going to want to eat when they warm up. If there's not enough food for them, they'll fly away from your garden to go look for food somewhere else. You want to release your ladybugs in the evening when the temperatures are cooler. When you first release them, um, they're going to be flying around looking for food and water. So spritz your plants with some water so that there's some moisture for them to sip. You can also offer your ladybugs a few drops of honey. Um, Just squeeze a few drops like on a piece, a little bit of paper or maybe a bit of cardboard or something. The ladybugs will eat the honey and use it as a quick source of energy until they um, locate aphids and other little bugs to eat. Really, the only thing you don't want to do is release your ladybugs 
during the morning or the afternoon when it's warm. Wait until the evening when it's cooler to release them. If you release them during the day, uh, there's a higher probability that they will fly away from your garden um, because they're active and warm and hungry. Organic pest control can be challenging. Even um, natural pesticides can kill beneficial insects and pollinators. Um, Pesticides don't discriminate. They can't tell the difference. Um, For example, if you're trying to kill soft-bodied insects like aphids or mites, um, you can use insecticidal soap. Um, It's perfectly appropriate for organic gardening. But if you go out there and just soak all your plants um, without really paying any sort of attention, you can inadvertently end up killing soft-bodied ladybug larvae if you are just out there spraying them with uh, insecticidal soap. So it's really important to know what bugs you're dealing with um, before treating your plants with any sort of pesticides, natural or otherwise. If you haven't started a vegetable garden this year, or maybe you're a little behind, don't worry about it because mid-April is a wonderful time for planting all the great summer veggies. Just don't wait too long because the planting window for many things um, close by early May when temperatures really start to ramp up. Right now, we can plant all of these warm season vegetables from seeds now through the end of April. So beans, cantaloupe, chard, um, plus other warm season greens, cucumbers, okra, southern peas like black-eyed peas, summer and winter squash, and watermelon. We can also plant sweet potato slips as well as transplant eggplant, peppers, and tomato seedlings. Tomatoes and eggplants need to be in the ground by the end of April so that they have plenty of time to get their roots established. Tomatoes are big plants and they take a little while to get established. They have big root systems that need some time to develop. When daytime temperatures consistently are above 90 degrees, even more plants like tomatoes will stop blooming. So get your tomatoes in the ground so they have time to develop a healthy root system and put on lots of tomatoes before it gets too hot. All right, friends, have a great week and happy gardening. Production assistance provided by KBSR, Black Sparrow Radio. Original music created by Alex Cuervo. Discover more of his music at alexcuervo.tv. If you love plants and gardening in Central Texas, be sure to click the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts and never miss seasonal information on Plow and Hose. Plow and Hose is written and recorded at my home in Taylor, Texas.